0: Hi, I'm Mandy Lern, And I'm Stephanie Keeley. Thank you for joining us for Women Who Work. So before we start today's episode, we do want to remind you to, yes, follow, rate, and review us so more listeners like you will find us. It's just the name of the game. And uh, we really need your help. So ask your colleagues, friends, and join the conversation by sharing this with your own networks. Now back to the show.
1: I remember when I was in my 30s, it was, you know, you're just trying to make yourself. And I think as you get older, you're a little more apt to be comfortable making bigger decisions and realizing that mistakes are okay. You're gonna get cards dealt to you. And some of them are cards that are bad and some are cards you want and some are cards you don't. But at least from a career perspective or personal perspective, it ends up things work out.
0: So, we're back for season two of the Women Who Work podcast. We are so excited to keep discussing all of the things and the essentials for leading in your life and career because, you know, as women who work, we just can't separate the two.
2: Thanks for being here with us. Each episode, we really challenge ourselves to bring you real conversations about the real things women are facing in the world of work today. And you've got a place in this conversation.
0: In this episode, we are talking about creating your own definition of success. We've got such a great interview with Laura Larson, who is a force of nature in her own right. She's editor of Napa Valley Life and founder of Virtual Vines Consultancy. So, we had got any wine fans out there, this one's for you. All right, let's dive in. So, as we mentioned today, we are going to talk about creating and owning your own definition of success and really honestly just going for it.
2: Success is a hard thing to talk about. Definitely. It's something as working women, we hear, we think about a lot, like I want to be successful. We started our careers going for it, just trying to get to the next level. Um, but that's really just taking on one definition of success when we think about it in like, Oh, I got this corporate job and I just want to keep rising up. And the reality is success is subjective. 100%
0: agree with that. Absolutely. And I feel like I would think the majority of our listeners are probably middle level of their career, right? So, like you said, you started your career gangbusters, gung ho, you're ambitious, you're going to do it all, you're going to accomplish it all. And now you realize, I think that for some of us, you know, we get to that mid level, maybe even plateau a little bit and start to kind of reflect and start to realize, well, maybe what I had thought was the definition of success really isn't for me because it's not fulfilling for me. And and I think a lot of that, too, is we get, as I think, honestly, Stephanie, you might agree, as women, we get so many messages bombarded at us And they're all conflicting too. Um, For example, you know, all the things we see on our social media feeds, anything that we see on the news, even our own peer groups, we Watching TV. Right. I mean, let's talk about the Barbie movie, (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: right? Well, everywhere you see what someone else is defining as success, whether it's real or not. I mean, you know, social media, we all know we're sitting there scrolling and we're seeing people we know or don't know um putting up images about what looks like a really charming beautiful life and subconsciously we're just starting to assume that this is what we should be reaching for this is what success looks like and it's a really slippery slope because it is just taking someone else's portrayal of success and claiming it as our own but it is not our own story it is not our own definition and you have to do the work to really assess for yourself, what does success look like for me?
0: Yes. And I love the fact that you mentioned story because it is, it's all about creating and owning your own personal story. So what does that look like for you? And I think that when you put it in that perspective, it helps you mentally prepare for okay, I can have this internal conversation with me and start asking and answering these really hard questions about, well, if X, Y, Z didn't get, get me to the level of success that I expected or, or the level of fulfillment that I expected, well, then I have to really start, like you said, doing the hard work and, and, Asking yourself some really hard questions, and I think by by thinking about it in a way that you're creating your own story, kind of makes that process a little bit more palatable. Mm-hmm.
1: For
2: yeah, I, I've heard it um, said, but I, I I might not articulate this perfectly. But if you don't have your own vision for success, really defined. You will be working hard and working up, 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 keep on working toward this, whatever definition of success that you've got laid out there. And the most disappointing thing will be reaching that success and realizing it's not what you ever wanted.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's, you know? that, and that, that hurts. Have, has that, have you ever experienced that Stephanie, where you pursued something because you thought, yes, this is what I want, or this is what I deemed as success at at that particular time. And you achieved it and you're like, oh, (laughs) right. Like, oh, well, that's not that that great. mm -hmm.
2: Me personally. No, I mean, I have, I felt stuck. um, But, you know, really at a really young age, I realized that, um, that I could be brave with my career and I could say, you know, if this doesn't work out, then there's always Starbucks. That's always been my backup that Starbucks (laughs) has benefits and that can be my transition time. And if this isn't the right move, then I've, you know, I'll be okay. I've just always had that kind of independent mentality, but, and and so I have allowed myself some transitions Mm -hmm. when I have, I I do not like the idea of feeling stuck. So when Mm -hmm. I get to a point where I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, this isn't quite what I've wanted, I'm going down this path and I'm doing really well and I'm being recognized for great work. But if I did this the rest of my life, I know I wouldn't be happy with it. I know Mm -hmm. I wouldn't find that fulfillment. I would always think about what if I would tried X, Mm -hmm. what if I'd gone in this direction about something I was really passionate about? Um, Well, and honestly, that's, you know, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I allowed myself that chance to say, I'm not really okay with saying, what if, like, what if, what if I could have done that? I feel Mm -hmm. like I need to try something new.
0: Yeah. I love, I love what you said about, you said it several times, allowing yourself. So that's Mm -hmm. really just giving yourself permission to reevaluate to explore new things. And I think that's part of the process of defining your ideal level of success or your ideal version of success. And knowing mm-hmm. that it can knowing that it can change. Oh it's yeah, so- we're human, right? Right. Right. And knowing that just where you started may not be where you end up in the space in between should allow you that that time and to explore. Mm-hmm. and to rethink if you kind of get yourself in a rut or stuck or in a corner or something you have to give yourself permission to rethink and reevaluate and adjust and adapt
2: definitely you know i think professionally when we when we really think about success from a professional sense oftentimes it's human nature but it's also very much a um a female thing that we think that if we just do a great job, that if we perform well, that will get us to where we want to go. Like that's enough. We just have to do a, get that job well done. We'll be recognized for it. And someone will lift us up to the next level or where, wherever it is we want, we want to go next. And what
0: we know is
2: that that doesn't, it doesn't work that way.
0: So is there any data that um, tells us specific like points to that specifically? Because I totally agree about the the performance. I mean, we've heard the statistic about majority of women will not apply for a job unless they have a hundred percent of the qualifications for that particular job. Men, they're like, eh I've got I've got 30 percent of that. I'm gonna go and apply and I'm gonna get the job and I'm gonna rock it. like yeah. Yeah, oh. I know it's, well,
2: that I, that's a whole other conversation that I <laughs> right. think is so fascinating I mean, definitely related. One of my favorite studies around it is the pie secret to professional success. It's by Harvey Coleman and it's literally a pie chart and spells out pie. So really simple there, <laughs> but performance, they, it shows that, um, the factors for professional success are performance image and exposure. And performance is only 10% of that whole pie. Um, Yeah, it's it's but it is important. It is the key that opens the door. It's like what gets you in it gets you that job you perform well, it keeps you that job, it gets you some recognition. Um, but image is at 30%. And that includes things like not just how you look and what you wear, which it does include that, but also your your communication, verbal, non-verbals, um, your attitude. It really kind of personifies how you look and act. And does that align with um, you know, when we're talking about success, we're li- really looking at like promotions and and leveling up. And so are you looking and acting the part of that next level of success? And then the largest piece of that pie is exposure. And that goes to how you are exposing yourself to the right people, doing um, projects, volunteering for things inside the workplace, but even in community groups, exposing yourself to ultimately market your own brand Mm. and I think this this really relates to this idea around kind of owning our own definition of success and going for it because if you don't know what your idea of success is then you can't really define your brand and you don't know where to expose yourself you don't know where to put yourself out there Because you're kind of floating, you're just kind of waiting for success to come to you or to someone to offer the next thing to you. And the reality is you have to take a bit of ownership of that process.
0: Absolutely, for sure. And I think that one exposure is that that whole piece is another, definitely another topic of conversation. But it also, what strikes me, I mean, I'm i here visually looking at the pie, um, that 10% is in a way because for us, and when I say us, women tend to attribute more weight of our performance and our success. So when I see that, when it really can be only 10%, we're limiting ourselves, Because if we are just putting ourselves in that small box of just perform, 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 at somebody else's, their own evaluation, we're just totally limiting ourselves already from the get-go. That's kind of the biggest takeaway I see here. Mm -hmm. And the biggest place where we can kind of blow that out of the water and begin to kind of open our mind to what, what's, what are the possibilities for us? Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, there is some, you have to take ownership, because if you don't, if you don't going back to the whole like storytelling and telling your own story mm-hmm. and branding yourself that way and branding yourself based on um what the story you want to tell, if you don't tell it, somebody's going to create a story in their own mind about you. Mm. and and so you you completely lose control or you just fall into the story others are
2: telling of you. You know, just say that's good enough. You know, I do think it's hard for, um, us to not rely on performance sometimes when we are kind of overburdened, like there's just too much on my plate. There's too much at work. There's too much at home, there's too much everywhere. And you know what the best I can do today is just show up and do a good job. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the spot that a lot of women find themselves in. It's just like, I'm just going to put my head down and do the best
0: job I can do. That's all I've got that's that's really fair assessment yeah. absolutely and I'm I say that because I've definitely done it and felt the same yeah oh we yeah we've been there mm-hmm. um so right so when we find ourselves in that position what do we do where well, can put we... up some
2: boundaries that's <laughs> all my answer for everything is good <laughs> solid boundaries but I, I think that's when you do start to do some of this internal work because it doesn't take a ton of time. It just takes intention, um, where you can do some visioning toward mm-hmm. your success. If you're feeling that kind of like, oh, I'm I'm in a funk, all I can do is show up and perform, then you're at the perfect time to start saying, what does success look for me like for me? Mm-hmm. What does this life I want to be living look like? If I close my eyes and envision the life that feels fulfilling and brings joy and what does my work look like in that how does how does everything fit together you can you can envision it you can close your eyes and envision where you want to be um but you have to take a little time to do that
0: yeah and i love what you say it's it, you have to be intentional about mm-hmm. it you absolutely have to and also when we start this process, I, at least for me, I reach for inspiration from, I mean, just the, the big of the bigs, if you will, like the Michelle Obamas and people that Mm -hmm. have accomplished so much and are just incredible people in their own right. Mm -hmm. But I think, when you go through this process, don't let the bigness of someone else's story stop you from pursuing a dream, right? Mm-hmm. It, what, it doesn't have to be huge where we've all heard of the phrase, uh, go big or go home. That doesn't apply in this situation. Mm-hmm. Just, just start. Just, just, <laughs> just take a step. start, that's right. And know that you don't, it doesn't, small pursuits can also be just as fulfilling. You mm-hmm. don't have to say, you know, I'm a writer, I enjoy writing, I'm going to write a bestseller, New York Times bestseller, and I'm going to have these books that translate into a successful Oscar winning movie. I I, I don't, I think I don't feel like that Mm -hmm. is a good activity when you're asking yourself these questions. Just, I'm not saying start start small, but don't get caught up in I have to do huge things in, in order to feel or be successful
2: hmm You know, a couple of things with that one, I think we often, I at least fall into that kind of perfectionism trap of, I I got to be able to do this perfectly, or I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah. And that kind of goes yeah. into what you were talking about with like resumes and um, applying for jobs. Like, well, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to have a perfect right. ability to do something before I'm going to try it. And, you know, that's, that's your own loss. If you let that get in the way, because, <laughs> Because the learning is in the doing and um, it's in making mistakes and that, and that can also be where the fun is too. Yes. But the other thing I, you know, I feel like as we've talked through this a bit today, a lot of what I'm hearing is like success. Often we think about it as a dollar amount or a title. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what I've kind of feel like we've been shifting this conversation to is success is fulfillment. And, what's going to make us feel fulfilled but i say us but me personally what's going to make me personally feel that feeling of fulfillment um so that i can label that as that's success for me and i can start reaching toward that um professionally personally how i spend my time where i'm putting my intention what i'm giving energy to um and i agree you can look for inspiration but ultimately you've got to give yourself
0: permission to do the work. Answer the question, do the exercise. So then what's next is kind of like, well, then what's stopping you from doing this? Yeah.
2: We often have things that we're like, well, I do that, Mm -hmm. but, or that seems Um, Mm far-fetched. Coaching is a great modality right here during times of transition or trying to figure things out. And one of the coaching exercises is to ask yourself that exact question, Mandy what's stopping you Mm -hmm. and, and truly write it down. Like what's stopping me. You'll have plenty of reasons. Be honest with yourself, write down. What are the things that are stopping you from taking the next step or from doing even having this dream that, you know, is on your heart. You're not allowing yourself to say Mm -hmm. out loud, like what's stopping me. And then once you've got that list, ask yourself, how could I look at each one of those things differently? Start with number one, the thing that's stopping me. How could I look at that differently? Um, could, is there any way to eliminate that hurt hurdle? Um, is this just an excuse?
1: Because
2: mm-hmm. I'm a little bit scared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's okay. And yeah. if you, and if it comes out where I am scared, that is okay. That's your starting point. Yeah.
2: Now you have something to work with, right? That's right. Um, and so I mentioned coaching because it is a good time to get a coach If you want someone to kind of walk with you through that process, but you can, I mean, you can do it alone or you could do it in a peer group, you know, find that person who um, you're comfortable talking with about professional things or, or life things, you know, there's someone, who who is in your network who you have a good relationship and could do a little peer coaching with um mm. but you can also find a coach and but i just i would say that's a really great takeaway from this conversation if you're feeling like inspired to say hey what's my vision here what's what's my definition of success that's a good place to start is kind of mapping out journaling out those questions
0: i totally agree i think it's a great opportunity to at least get you to a place where you're Somebody's prompting you to answer these questions for yourself in a, in, a, in a safe environment, too. Yes.
2: So our guest interview today is with Laura Larson, and she is, I think, a great example of someone who's used her experience, um, she's taken stock of her professional strengths, her skill set, and then combined it with a passion and her desire for a new lifestyle to create this whole new career.
0: Laura Larson spent the first two decades of her career in the global technology sector leading successful sales and marketing divisions for Fortune 500 companies such as HP, Cisco, Citrix, and VMware. In 2015, with a passion for wine and connecting with community, led her to relocate to Napa Valley, where she retired from her corporate career and founded Virtual Vines, a direct-to-consumer consulting business targeted at wineries and small businesses. As accredited sommeliers, she and her husband also launched a winery, 601 Cellars. In 2013, 18, she accepted a role as editor-in-chief managing the day-to-day operations, content strategy, and market development for Napa Valley Life magazine. Laura is a featured speaker and columnist for several wine industry events and publications. Hi,
2: Laura. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Stephanie. Well, I want us to just Jump right into your really fascinating career path and walk us through those early years um, when you were back in the tech industry. What is it that you were doing at that time?
1: Well, I don't want to really date myself, but I did get in pretty early. Um, I guess I could tell you that I was doing that when the PC came out. So, uh, been a been a little while, but. Um, I was actually leasing terminal space to the University of Maryland students so they could get onto their VACs um, and get, you know, classwork and assignments and stuff from the mainframes up there. And I did that um, during the summers when I was um, away from college and it it, it ultimately evolved into um, once the you know, technology sector started taking off for home computing and, you know, devices and things like that, um, where I actually worked, the company actually turned into um, a contractor, uh, computer contractor for actually in that area, Washington, D.C. area, like federal government and defense contractors and things. Mm -hmm. So I luckily got in early. I don't know with everything swirling around in the tech industry today if I would get completely lost in it or not, but um, I... The opportunity, the good news was I had the opportunity to grow with it. Um, it was also pretty much a boys' town. Um, probably in some places still is today, but um, I actually um kind of grabbed hold of that and leveraged it because I was kind of an anomaly. I always got a meeting, (laughs) yeah.
2: So So, so say more about that because I think we definitely have women in real male dominated industries all the time who we talk to and it's like how do you really leverage being one of the only women in a real still male dominated industry? How'd you do that?
1: Well just like anything in life, you have to know your audience and um you have to be smart. I mean you have to know your products and um be able to present yourself. Um you know don't let anybody assume that you're a certain, you know level or way because of how you look or who you are. Um, but just be smart and be yourself. And wow. them. You know, I mean, yeah. that's kind of how I went through, but like I said, it was almost in some cases an advantage in the field I was in because, um, you know, I always got the, the lunch with the general down at the Pentagon uh, versus my male colleagues who had to kind of fight to get, you know, cause I was oh. smart and I wasn't a guy in a suit, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, you stood, I mean, I guess in some ways you stood out. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, so your career in tech, kind of what did it evolve into?
1: Well, it started with that and it just, I grew with it. Um, I started working for some manufacturing companies and um, storage and mostly in the hardware business. I worked for companies like well, in the early days, Compaq, which eventually was HP and network companies like Cisco. And um, um, in the later part of my career, I got into software and cloud computing. So um, the early years, I was lucky to, to have jobs with larger companies that gave me opportunities to be exposed to a lot of different divisions and lo- you know, levels of um, colleagues that had different skill sets, whether they be technical system engineers or really good bosses or colleagues that I just love to work with, we could run ideas off each other. But everything I've always done has kind of been around solving a problem for somebody, which is kind of what I love to do. So I could have been in something I love like shoes, (laughs) solving a problem for somebody to fit their, you know, the shoes that they like, or in my case, computer, you know, computer solutions. So, um, so I enjoyed it. I've always, I always enjoyed it.
2: Mm -hmm. So how long uh, was your, your career then in tech? Like how, how long were you in that field um, before you started to think maybe I should make a little change?
1: Well, back when the PC came out, I would say that was probably the late 80s. Uh, so I was in it for shoot. Um, I, my last job in tech was 2015. So how many years is yeah, that?
2: 25, 30.
1: Yeah. And so
2: you saw a good bit of success in your career. I mean, you, you made a successful career out of that time
1: and oh, yes. to
2: rise up. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. I, uh, you know, I was, everything. I started off as just a, you know, a sales rep. And when I finished, I was running a global, um, global group at a software company, you know, globally traveling around and had employees and yeah. Yeah.
2: So, so then um, nearing the end of that time, was there anything that happened that made you think maybe you should reevaluate that career path and and make a change?
1: Well, not reevaluate. Well, okay. So um, when I was at HP and I was there for a long time, I was there for probably 10 years. Um what happened to me there really was a pivotal point in my, you know, making a change in my life. Uh, I was in a, um, very comfortable because I was a middle management middle manager job. I was in a niche spot. I was working, um, dealing with federal contractors. So I needed to know all the acronyms and, you know, it was really a super niche space. And, um, HP did the work at home thing long before COVID or anything like that. So we were all mm. working from home and they, during the recession, they had a whole, entire middle management layoff and I was affected by that. I was like shocked, you know, I was like a dad wow. and you know, how could this happen to me? And, um, after it did, after I got over, like that dusted myself off, I realized that I was really complacent. Like I was really comfortable, mm. um, it was kind of like the, same, the saying, the hell, you know, you know, I mean, it was, um, you know, I would work out of the house. I wouldn't get out of my, you know, workouts. I'd work out early in the morning and, you know, it'd be the end of the day. And I'd still have my coffee on the desk. And I just had kind of d- done this drudge all the time. And, um, I just got really complacent, I think. And so mm-hmm. I got that little kick and, um, it really made me it was a compelling point in my life to say you should never get complacent. Like, Don't underestimate, you know, keep yourself intrigued with yourself, not even just professionally, but personally too. Like don't, don't go there because it was almost like a awakening for me. Um, I, I think I was almost like depressed. Like after mm-hmm. I had this new life that hit me after I, cause I landed on my feet right away and found a great, um, I actually got into the software and services side of the biz, of the technology, which was much more interesting and fun and fast paced. And I would have probably, who knows, I may have just today still be sitting at HP, you know, I don't know.
2: but well, uh, often, I mean, that's true. Oftentimes people do just kind of keep drudging through what they're doing. And even if it's not like lighting them up. It's like, well, I'm good at it. I've got a good job. I know how to do this job and I'm just going to keep my head down and keep doing it.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, I have a sense of responsibility. I had a team that worked mm-hmm. for me and you just kind of feel like I had, I felt the sense of responsibility to not
2: loyalty. Me, you know,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and that's good, but sometimes you need a kick, you
2: know. Yeah. Well, the world has a way of giving us a kick every now and then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So, you did land on your feet, but then you you ultimately made a major shift in your career and a cross country move. So, tell us about that and how you went about this, what you call a re engineering.
1: Yeah. So, that was, um, and that was late in my life but um I so the last um role I had well I worked in most of my companies were in Silicon Valley so I was there a lot but the last company I worked for um I was in Silicon Valley a lot like sometimes every week and I'd fly mm-hmm. on the east coast and fly out from the Washington DC area you know host some customers do this that fly back you know Monday Thursday Monday Thursday so um we my husband and I um spent a lot of time he was in tech too but he would fly out meet me we would instead of flying home we would go to wine country in napa or sonoma or somewhere and spend the weekend and then it was easy for me just to you know drive back on up to silicon valley and um over some time we really discovered we loved it there and had an opportunity to get a home a second home after a few years we would fly back to Washington DC on Sunday, beautiful 75 degree day, sunny. And we'd fly into like a derecho or, you know, snow or hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity. We're like, what are we doing? Um, so we ended up, uh, making the big move into Napa in 2015. And, um, I did continue the work in Silicon Valley for a little while after that. Um, I commuted by car instead of, uh, airplane but um while we were in Napa living part-time and then full-time I had an opportunity to really get um embedded in the community and the um industry here which is agricultural and obviously wine um and it's a small town uh, so it was kind of easy to do that but um I became we became very interested in being part of the community so we actually started making wine was the first thing we did that was kind of like, oh. um, so we started a winery and we still are, we still have a winery today. We um, are small. We make about 300 cases, but um, it's successful. We, you know, based the whole brand around um, our elopement in Italy and when we fell in love with these particular varieties. But um, once I did that, I, we were really ingrained in the wine community and I, um started to discover as we were meeting more winery colleagues and getting out there more within the, you know, hospitality community, that there was this huge gap. Um, uh, first of all, nobody did anything digitally. Every, it was all the, everything they did was based around brick and mortar tasting room. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, here's my background. I'm t- telling these big CIOs to spend $30 million and move all your employees home. Cause they can work from home with the cloud computing and all that. And, um, so I had this bright idea that, you know, we could go, I could go around and profess to these companies, wineries, uh, the value of talking to their customers in Florida and Virginia and all these other places, which actually is 80% of their sales. Mm. Um, and also talking to them as unique, um, individuals versus a swath of customers. So how do you talk to your customer? What kind of email do you send your customer in Florida versus the one you send to Bay Area? Um, So I started a consulting business. Um, I just, I don't know, I just had this passion to take everything that I'd learned in my tech career and see if I could kind of help the winery community with it. So it was fun. I, you know, I'm going to say it wasn't easy because the wineries didn't have the kind of money that General Dynamics or the Department of Defense has mm-hmm. <laughs> to invest and things like that. But um, it was fun. And it actually evolved into the job that I have full time now, which is uh, editor of Napa Valley Life magazine, because I, I leveraged the best practices from what I had learned through all those many years of um, problem solving problems for big companies and government agencies and kind of took it down to a, a uh, client base that I really related to. It
2: sounds like from, from that storyline that you did not do it kind of in haste. It sounds like you started following some interests, moved to a place where you had interests and started making a plan. Is that right? Like, or or do you feel like there was a big giant kind of leap into this open space?
1: I had, I had an aha moment one day about it. Um, I was just, and and also on the sales side of things, I was in a winer. I can't remember which one it was, but here I am like the perfect customer. I'm, you know, I'm making good money in Silicon Valley. I love wine. I'm a collector. Um, I'm sitting there with my glass of wine and, you know, the kid doesn't ask me my name, you know, all the things that you learn in sales and marketing and how to relate to people and he just wasn't a sales guy he what you know the winery's there to make money selling wine They're obviously there to be hospitable to people so i building the consulting practice was kind of an aha moment but mm-hmm. i didn't do it the next day i did yeah. you know i did plan it out I, I did decide that i needed to have a certain amount of money in the bank and we needed to have some things paid off you know i knew that i was not going to be going from making this much to you know to nothing basically starting off, but I got creative with that. I did a lot of trading, um, services for references and, you know, um, just getting, doing the whole launch plan. Um, that was challenging, but, um, it was, you know, I loved what I was doing and I think you do have to plan, um, unless you have to make a decision that's not yours alone, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so luckily I, I did, have the ability to do that, um, which I'm thankful for. I did have time to be able to um, think about it and be pragmatic about how it would work. And I gave myself a business plan on how long I would do it before I decided it wasn't a good idea. Maybe um, go back. <laughs> yeah. I, did yeah. It this way. I didn't get rid of any of my high heels and skirt, you know, business clothes, <laughs> which you don't really need here in my country um, for two years. So all that okay. stuff, happens. I said, you never know when you're going to have to like put that stuff back on and go back and, you know, but it didn't, it worked out.
2: What are the things that you learned from that time of transitioning from a really stable and successful career in one industry to a totally different type of career in a totally other industry?
1: Well, the, the one, you know, thing that was the same was the solution type that I was wanting to implement. It was just a different, yeah, you know, much smaller client and a different type of client. So I had, it wasn't like I went from doing tech into house painting, you know, it wasn't like I went from something completely out of my, you know, out of my comfort level. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what was challenging was working or trying to work with um clients and customers who, you know, looked at you like you had a third eye when you said, you know, you could actually put your winemaker on an iPad when you send out your wine club shipment and talk to your customers. So um, that was probably one of the biggest challenges was getting people to understand, you know, it took COVID, I think, to let, to have a lot of companies realize.
2: Sure. That you just can't do it if we can't be in person.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Tell us about the magazine and kind of your role as editor. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about kind of what you're doing and how that has evolved into this, you know, new new definition of success and and where you're where you are in your career?
1: Well, I'll tell you, the magazine was actually a whole new world for me. I had never, you know, I loved to read the paper and I loved lifestyle magazines, but I knew nothing about publishing. And, um, they actually brought me in to help with some of the digital, um, go to market stuff, some process engineering, um, staffing, you know, some of the writing staff and all that, which were all little knit things that I did with my virtual vines company. And it just, um, evolved into a lot of things that I, that luckily I got to kind of learn some of them as I did them on the job uh, because, you know, one thing you would do kind of would bleed into something else. And um, I don't know, it was pretty resourceful, mm-hmm. but it was actually interesting to learn about the publishing industry. Um, mm-hmm. So that in and of itself uh, was exciting. And I never thought that I, you know, wasn't ever a career goal to be an editor of a magazine or anything like that, but it was, um, it was um, beneficial for me to, 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 because I almost thought about not taking that role because I was working with wineries, but I got to work with a lot of wineries because the wineries were clients of the magazine. So Mm -hmm. it was a nice, you know, um, juxtaposition of business types that I didn't, the more I worked with Napa Valley life, the more I got to work with a lot of the community and, um, and the clients that I was working with as a consultant. And I actually allowed me to even get more um, intertwined in the community mm-hmm. uh, here is, you know, from a, per, at a personal level, it was rewarding um, from mm-hmm. that perspective, because it's definitely allowed me to open some doors that I probably wouldn't have gotten, you know, opened without having that logo.
2: So you think about, you a great life and career before, and it sounds like you've Got one now. And I'm curious if you could imagine, like, what if you hadn't taken that leap or hadn't evaluated doing something new? What do you think you'd be missing?
1: I would think that I'd be doing something new. I think. either um, No matter what. I think so. I think, um, and I think as you get older, you tend to have a little more of a comfort level with who you are and I remember when I was in my 30s, it was, you know, you're just trying to make yourself and make your name and get your, you know, get your things and your house, you know, get everything in order. And then I think as you get older um, and we're a little more settled and secure in your life and your career, and um, I think you're a little more apt to be comfortable making bigger decisions and realizing that mistakes are okay. and you're going to get cards dealt to you. Some of them are cards that are good. And some of them are cards that are bad. And some are cards you want, and some are cards you don't. Um, But usually, you know, at least from a career perspective, or personal perspective, it ends up things work out.
2: So do you think it's important for people to kind of consider the possibilities throughout their career? You mentioned getting comfortable. So, you know, when you got real comfortable, you realized, "Whoa, I need to," you know, "keep my foot on the gas." And and so, you, how? I guess I guess my question is more than, do you think it's important? But like, what should people do throughout their career to kind of consider the possibilities of of success for them?
1: Well, I think it's always smart to kind of think about. A backup plan. Like I said, you never know what cards you're going to get dealt. You know, you could have your spouse pass away. You could have, you know, your house could burn down. I mean, I I know people who have all been in, you lose your job. I mean, we know people that, you know, I can call right now that those things have happened to. And um, you just have to be pragmatic and be thinking about that but you also should have a passion or think think about what you really love you know what really makes you tick like if you had all the money in the world and you wanted to do something what would it be would it be you know volunteer work would it be having your own business would it be traveling you know what is what is it that if you could do anything you wanted um at least from a personal gratification perspective or to help you grow or contribute or whatever, you know, it is at that stage. But um, I think thinking that through and having some concept about it um, and, you know, like the wine thing, my husband and I, when we discovered this, the Sangiovese varieties, when we got married, married in 2001 in Italy, we always said, one day it would be fun to make wine and make this these grapes because you they're hard to find. So it's always good, you know, you always have kind of that thing that you're thinking about if you ever had the opportunity to do it. And I don't know, I'm a firm believer in you can make things happen in your life. Um sometimes it is right place, right time, but I also think that you can make it the right place in the right time mm. if you put your mind to it. So I don't know. I say back have a, have a good, have a desire, a backup plan, a passion or a dream. Um, you know, don't think everything's going to be exactly the same every day of your life. Yeah. You know, doesn't have to be no. Yeah. So what
2: should, you know, we talk about in this podcast, we talk about that, how women have a giant tote bag full of all the things, everything they could possibly need for work in life. And, um, and so we ask each of our guests, what is one thing that you think every woman should have in their tote bag? Um, so when I ask you that question, I'm curious what comes to mind for you.
1: I would say a giant note card that says, trust yourself, or you could even tattoo that somewhere <laughs> on your arm <laughs> Um, you have to trust yourself i think so many people doubt you know that they make that dream or that passion something that they you know don't think they'll ever get or it's something that's not really touchable it's just something to dream about or something that could happen one day um but trust your trust your instinct trust your judgment trust your dreams i think women have you know a genuine intuition that in our genetic makeup that um we should definitely use you know i think i think every woman has it that i know um and don't take that for granted um but understand you're going to make mistakes i mean some of the biggest mistakes i've made i have learned a big lesson from and i kind of look at them and that's something as you get older too you realize the mistakes aren't that big a deal you know that you just dust yourself off and say that's that's not happening again <laughs> in my right. life. Um and learn from it. And um I think if you kind of keep a positive attitude like that um and trust the next time you won't make that mistake again. Or if you do, you'll do it, you'll make the mistake better. You'll do a better job of making the mistake. I don't know. Um, I think a lot of us, especially women, tend to not trust themselves as much as they should and decisions and they second guess. And I don't know, I think that would be my advice or what I'd have and tell somebody to put in their bag, like have a little faith and trust your judgment and your decisions. Well, thank you so much for everything you've shared today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. It was a, uh, it was a fun exercise for me to think back and you know, I'm kind of enthused to say what's next.
2: <laughs> exactly. What's next? We should always keep asking. <laughs> yeah. A big thank you to Laura for that conversation and sharing her own professional story. You know, she is an example of taking a really big change, um, you know, at, at almost making a second career. And I, I love the idea of this, this big example, but whether it's big or small, I think our message today and in this podca- podcast episode is don't sit on the opportunity to define what's possible for your life and career.
0: We want you to be inspired and just take the first step. Yes. And I think the first step is our one thing to try. So as Laura uh, recommended is to write, we want you to try this out the next week, write on a giant note card, trust yourself and stick it in a spot where you will see it every day. Oh, I like that one. So Stephanie, tell me what you got in that bag.
2: All right. So in my giant tote bag this month is a book. And you know, I I love a good paper book. I like to flip a page. I'm yes. always going to be old school like that. Yes. Um, I like the feel, the smell. I, I can tell where I am in the book because context is important for me. But whatever your preference, if it's an audio book, have it downloaded on your phone. If it's a Kindle version, make sure you've got that device carry in your bag because You know, we talked a little bit about how there are images of success kind of scrolling all in front of us. And it's very tempting to sit and wait for a doctor's office appointment and scroll through social media. Mm -hmm. But I think it's better for the heart and soul and brain if you just open up a book, let yourself get immersed in a novel, nonfiction, whatever your preference is, true crime, (laughs) what have you.
0: Um, But read a book. It's good for kids. It's good for us. Yes. And the old saying goes not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. <laughs> I like it.
2: I like it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Be a part of the conversation and connect with us on Instagram at sorelead.
0: Also, show us some appreciation for this podcast. Please be sure to follow, rate, and review on Apple podcast. This is really how we grow and keep these conversations going. And also share this along with your work BFF. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next time for another Women
2: Who Work conversation.